I can just imagine some of you are a little confused right now. You see a, or hear a story of Christmas. All of us caught that, right? It was about Christmas. And you see a video on disappointment, and all of us caught that, right? And you're thinking, how do they match? In fact, I was thinking this morning, how many of you are disappointed that it's not Christmas right now? Anybody? Okay? A few people? Some of you are thinking, I can't go through that again. I need another like nine months or ten months to get there. It's an interesting thing, though, as we go through this sermon series, getting past the holiday blues, one of the things that we need to learn to get past is the disappointments in our life. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because the reality is that some of you have been really let down by life. It has not turned out at all the way you thought it would. It has not turned out at all the way that you hoped it would, that you had planned that it would. There's some expectations that you had that, that just were never realized, and hence the disappointments in our life. And there's nothing like the holidays, Christmas especially, to remind you of just how disappointed you are. And what's interesting about all that is that Christmas originally was designed, was, was, was created, right? Because it was supposed to release us from all of our disappointments. That it was supposed to give us hope. Jesus came in the flesh to redeem mankind. It was supposed to be one of those things that take away disappointments forever. But it seems like now for so many, it's just a reminder of, again, all the disappointments in our life. Because you want to be married, and you're not married. And Christmas just reminds you of that disappointment. You want to have kids, and the tree's beautiful, and there's presents underneath, but there's no kids to get crazy and unwrap them. There's no laughter. There's no incredible energy. Christmas is just a reminder that you don't have kids. Christmas is again a reminder that, of that disappointment. You have financial problems and you weren't able to buy all the presents that you wanted to buy this year. So Christmas tends to be a reminder of not just this disappointment, but whatever disappointments you have in your life. Some of you are looking at your life and you're saying, how did I end up with the fruitcake of all things, right? How did, or maybe that's my wife's putting this in my sermon, how did I end up with the fruitcake? I, I get confused at that. But you know, life's greatest disappointments, they revolve around questions like this. Why not me, God? Or why did it happen to me? What if? What if this had happened instead of this? How long am I going to have to wait? How long am I going to have to wait for what I want to happen to actually happen in my life? How long am I going to have to wait for this prayer to get answered? And the greater the expectation, the greater the anticipation, the greater the disappointment in life. And what's interesting is you look back at the very first Christmas, it may surprise you to discover that there was lots of disappointment floating around that very first Christmas as well. The Bible says this in Matthew 1.19. It says, Joseph, her fiancé, began being a just man, decided to break off the engagement with Mary quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. In other words, it's saying that Joseph almost called off the marriage. They almost didn't get married. Jesus almost didn't have an earthly dad to raise him as he was growing up. It says here that Mary heard an angel. She was going to have a, a baby boy the Savior of the world, that she was going to give birth, and that God was going to be the Father. And she was so excited about this that she goes to her fiancé to be, and she says, I'm so excited, I'm pregnant, and God's the Father. How do you think the conversation went? Not so well, right? And the Bible even tells us that. It says in the next line, Joseph said this marriage is not going to happen. It's a massive disappointment right from the beginning. Mary expected a wedding. She expected a great life. She expected babies at the right time. It didn't work out as she expected. An angel did finally come to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, what Mary's telling you is the truth. God is the Father. So the Bible says in Matthew 1, 24 through 25, when Joseph woke up, 
He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. So good news is that the baby is God's, and you ought to go marry Mary. You know, I mean, good on. It's going to be an amazing thing. Bad news, you can't touch her for nine months. I think there was a little disappointment going on for Joseph in that circumstance as a newlywed, and finally being able to get married, not being able to touch his wife. Sometimes I think we forget that these are real human beings who face some real disappointment. Then Mary and Joseph together must have thought about for months, nine months to be specific, about the birth of this child, what it was going to be like. This was going to be the Savior of the world, the King of Kings. And it was going to be born to them. They were given the responsibility to raise this kid as their own. He was going to be born. They must have dreamed what that was going to be like. They must have prepared the nursery as best they could, probably for about all nine months. I mean, this was God. It's going to be in their house. Just think about the cleaning that went on. It had to be extraordinary. And then right before all this happened, they're, they're given an edict by the king to go to Bethlehem on some huge, inconvenient journey just to register. Not only that, they get to Bethlehem and they can't find a place to stay. And when they finally find a place to stay, it's in a barn. That's where the baby was born. Do you think that was a little disappointing? Having your first baby, God's baby, in a barn. Can you imagine the labor pains and looking up and see the cows mooing at you? A little different than the nurses we have today. It's just different, I'm just saying. Different smells, all kinds of stuff. There was disappointment. And maybe even an argument, as I imagine, right? Joseph, if you had just made reservations, none of this would have happened. You know, those kind of things. There was massive disappointment in that very first Christmas. And yet today we celebrate Christmas. We make it a big deal. It's one of the biggest days of the year. Today we celebrate people like Mary and Joseph as heroes of the faith rather than examples of disappointment. But why? I mean, what changed? What turned their disappointment into hope? There was disappointment there, and yet all we think about when we think about Mary or Joseph or the baby Jesus is incredible joy. I think it's an important question because if you and I can discern what it is that they discerned at that very first Christmas, maybe we can also find a way to overcome our disappointments as well. And the reality is that three things happened to them that very first Christmas, things that can happen to us today that can help us find our way past our disappointments, that can help us find a way to let go of our disappointments once and for all. Because when life doesn't turn out the way you expect it, what do you do? And one of the first things that they did is they listened to God's message See, God says step one is listen to me. Hear what I have to say about this situation. And this is hugely important. Because the moment disappointment sets into our lives, you know, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond, right? The moment that 10% happens, the moment that disappointment begins to set in, we start hearing all sorts of messages. Unfortunately, very few are from the Lord. We start listening to Satan's messaging, right? That we're no good, that it's worthless, that this is a hopeless situation, that things will never change, that you might as well just give up. We concoct our own messages about all sorts of things. Because if you and I have this amazing ability to come up with ideas about how to deal with our disappointment. And we get disappointed by all kinds of things. We really do. Not just the big things, the small things as well. You can go into a, an ice cream parlor, let's say, and the guy in front of you in line uh, orders this, this double scoop chocolate fudge sundae and it's massive, massive scoops. And you're thinking, man, I'm getting that. I hope this guy's working forever. I'm getting that. And you get up to line and after you order, they switch servers. And you end up with these two little dinky-sized scoops of, of chocolate fudge sundae. And you're a little disappointed. How do you deal with that disappointment? 
I mean, there's all sorts of ways. Usually we do stuff that's really dumb, like becoming more demanding. I want big scoops like that guy. The guy just looks at us like we're crazy. Or unhealthy things like becoming defeated. Ah, man, this kind of stuff always happens to me. Or even just becoming jealous or hurt. But what we realize pretty quickly is that none of these things work. And they tend to complicate at the very minimum our moment way too often, our weeks, our months, and even our lives. And what that does is just leaves us bitter and depressed and disappointed. Some of us have been bitter and depressed and disappointed for years because we can't let go of those disappointments. Which is usually not what we're hoping for, which is usually not our grand scheme, the plan that we had as we started off. And so we start asking, what does work? And God says, well, we've got to learn to, number one, start opening up our ears so that we can hear God's messaging of truth instead of Satan's lies and our own concoctions. So Mary, in this very first Christmas story, heard God's message from the very beginning. The Bible says in Luke 1.28, The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The very next verse says that Mary was confused by the message. And I think and any of us would be confused if God came to us and says, You who are highly favored by the Lord, we'd be looking around, Me? Are you talking about me? God, I don't, I don't understand. I have a plan for you. And then we'd get freaked out. What does this plan mean? What does he have prepared for me? What do I have to give up? What's going on? We'd be not only confused, but freaked out and worried. The angel said, Mary, here's my plan for you. You're going to have a baby. Mary had questions like, How will this be? Mary asked, Since I'm a virgin. And I like how she asked the obvious question. How can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never been married. I've never been with a man. How in the world can I have a baby, God? It doesn't make any sense. And I love that she asked the obvious question. Because the way that you begin to hear God's message to you, God's word to you, God's truth to you, is you start by asking those obvious questions. That's where you start. So don't be afraid to ask the obvious questions in your life. Like, God, why did they get married and not me? I'm way better looking than they are, right? I have a much better personality than they do. Why did they get married and I didn't? Why is this the fifth time I've been a, the best man or fifth time I've been a matron of honor? Why do they always seem to get married and not me? Why did they get kids and I don't? We've been trying for years. They tried like once. Why do they have kids and we don't, Lord? You ask the obvious questions. The one that's in your heart, the one that you're thinking, why did their business make it and not my business? I'm a much better manager than they are. And when you ask God the obvious question, you open up your heart to hear incredible words, incredible answers from our Lord. That's what Mary did. When she asked this question, she could have thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't ask God. I mean, he seemed pretty set that this was the plan. He sent an angel. I'm pretty freaked out still by that. Maybe I shouldn't ask. Maybe God doesn't want me to ask. He didn't ask by any questions, you know. But she still asked the obvious question. And she heard an answer that helped her and has helped people for thousands of years since. For God answers in Luke 137, he says this, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. That's how it's going to happen. See, Christmas office often brings us face to face with the seemingly impossible. It's just a time where everybody's supposed to be incredibly happy and sometimes we get stuck in the unhappy. A grief that seems impossible to bear, a relationship that seems impossible to fix, a problem that seems impossible to solve, a financial situation that seems impossible to recover from. Christmas brings us face to face with those things because everybody, well, at least... Everybody should be happy during this time of year. 
But Mary reminds us this morning that even so, nothing is ever impossible for our God. I think if you want to have a hope to cling to, that's one of the starting places, is that nothing is impossible for God. So often we limit God in this little thing that says, God can forgive and God can take me to heaven. And most of the time we believe in this God, but God says, nothing is impossible for me. Stop limiting me in your life. And God goes on and gives us the second thing that they experience, and they, they experience God's purpose. See, the clouds of disappointment start to lift in our lives when we realize that no disappointment that we can ever face in our life can remove or take away God's plan for our life. Think about the greatest disappointment you've, all, you've ever had. It might take a few moments just to narrow it down. But think about the greatest disappointment you've had in your life. That disappointment cannot keep God from working in your life, from accomplishing his plans, his purposes for you in your life. One of the greatest disappointments I've had this year was the fact that I now have to start wearing reading glasses. I love that I can see this far. I keep praying that this works because it's hard for me to keep going like this. I'm already in Bible study, so I have to use them. And I went to the doctor the other a few months back, and I said, I just can't see. And the doctor said, yeah, that's what happens, you know, when you get to this age. So yay for me in the aging process, you know, all those things. But I first started realizing this when I was at a restaurant, you know, and it was just hard to read the menu. In fact, just the other night, Beth and I were at a restaurant, and the, the, the lights were kind of dim, you know, and, and the words were kind of small, and I was trying to get any place where I could read it, and I forgot my glass. I couldn't read it at all, so I handed it to my wife, and she looked at it. She forgot her reading glasses, so we just ordered pizza, because we figured we could order pizza without having to have a menu. But still to this day, don't have any idea what's on that menu. And I share that because I think a lot of us don't have any clue what's on God's menu for our life either. We have no clue what his purpose is for our life. And if you really want to lift your eyes above or past the disappointment, you have to be able to see God's purpose in the things that you're going through. You start asking, well, how do we do that? Well, first God says, I need you to realize that I have a purpose for your life, which is different than we usually think. We usually don't even entertain that thought that life is just happening to us, that somehow we're victims, but God has a purpose for our life. Look at what Mary and Joseph had to know in Matthew 1, and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophets. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That just means this, that hundreds of years before this happened to Mary and Joseph, the God said, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. These events that were filled with disappointment for them was the very plan that God had for them. From way, way back, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years hence, and so you begin to look at God's plans, and one of the things that you discover is this amazing thing, that some of the biggest disappointments in our lives were some of God's greatest appointments for our life. Does that make sense? Some of the worst things that we've been through, that God had purpose, and that he knew that they were going to happen because they made us stronger, they tested our faith, they gave us a blessing that we never could comprehend. This happened all over in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, you have Moses leading the people out of Egypt to the Promised Land. And he had a plan, and he knew where to go. God told him where he was going. But right in the middle of this plan comes the Red Sea. There's no time to go around it. The Egyptians were hot on their heels. They were going to get destroyed. And there's the sea in the way. What are they going to do, swim across? They had no idea. It's a disappointment. They were out of luck. But then God split the Red Sea in two. For it was God's appointment that they'd be there. In the New Testament, the story of Jesus and his disciples, the disciples who followed Jesus for three years, clung to his every word, confessed him as Lord and Savior. They watched him be crucified 
and killed on a cross on Good Friday. Can you imagine the disappointment? I thought he was the guy. I thought he was the Savior. I don't know what happened. Three days later came a resurrection. It was Jesus from the dead. And that was God's appointment. See, some of you are in the time between the disappointment and recognizing what God's appointment is. You're facing the Red Sea and you don't know how it's going to divide. You're facing a crucifixion and there's been no resurrection yet. So I encourage you in the middle and the in-between, hold on. God has a plan. For there is no disappointment in your life that can keep God's plan from going and, and completing his work. Even in the worst that life throws at us. Even in the hardest that life can bring to us. Why? Because God is good. And although life may be hard from time to time, God's promises that he has the power to take away evil. And he has this ability to take what is meant for evil and use it for good in our lives. For God has promised I will work all things for the good of those who love me. And so nothing's impossible for our God. He promises even in the depths of whatever we're going through that he can work good out of it. And finally he says the last part of this is you need to trust me. Trust that I am there. In Luke 2.19 it says Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. For nine months she thought about what was going to happen. Nine months she waited. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is wait. Sometimes the most worstful thing that we can do is just trust God. That he has an answer and that he has an answer at the right time. But you say, well, why wait? Why is that so important? Because when you wait on God's answer, you get God's answer. When you don't wait on God's answer and go ahead and force things through and come up with your own idea, you get your own answer. And I'd rather have God's answer every single time and twice on Sunday. So Mary waited nine months and Jesus came. Again, sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is wait. And it's hard for me to say this because I hate waiting too. But for some of you, this is a time of waiting and trusting. It's hard. So last Christmas, my buddy finally got this, uh, called a gizmo, official term, right? Uh, that he'd been waiting for. It solved one of his big problems that he's had for years. And he said it like this. He said, every Christmas, our Christmas tree has all these lights on it, and you have to plug it into this big plugging thing, another official term. The only plug that will reach it, he says, is the one that's right behind the tree. So to turn on the lights, he has to do this guerrilla warfare thing where he gets under the tree and turns them on and off, right? He said, this year, I got a remote control that can turn those things on and off. And I just press a button and they go on, and I press a button and they go off. He says, it's the most incredible thing. I haven't hurt myself once. And so I'll ask you the question this morning. What is it in your life that can turn on that light that you need to find hope during dark times? When you're immersed in the disappointment, when you're immersed in the, in the pain and the frustration and the anxiety and the stress, the fear, what is it that turns on the light? What decision do you need to make? Is there some way to bring light in? Is there some way to bring hope in? And God says, yes, there is, and it's my son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he came to bring us hope. That's why Christmas is such a cool deal. The Bible says in Matthew twelve twenty one, and his name will be hope, will be the hope of all the world. And so in a world where there's disappointments, and they're just everywhere, in a world where you can't avoid being let down by other people, in a world where circumstances just don't always turn out the way that you had expected them to, in a world of disappointment, Jesus came to bring hope. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would trust him, that you would wait on him, and I promise you, if you do, that you will find hope. And you will find Jesus. And all God's people said,
Amen.